0: Welcome to Fireside Chats with Utah Council for Citizen Diplomacy. My name is Julieta Romero, and I'm the Fireside Chat Podcast Fellow at UCCD. These Fireside Chats are short conversations with Utah's citizen diplomats who are reformulating the American worldview by bringing their global experience back home to Utah. I'm very excited to host Dr. Alicia Cunningham Bryant, a professor at Westminster College with much experience as an archivist and curator, at museums throughout the world. She speaks over 12 languages, many of which are thousands of years old, and also has lots of knowledge on digital humanities, the modern Middle East and old world archeology. span Alicia, welcome and thanks for joining us today to talk about artifact repatriation.
1: Thanks so much for having me. Excited to be here.
0: All right. So to start off, can you tell us what is artifact repatriation?
1: Yeah. So artifact repatriation um, refers to the fact that artifacts held in museums around the world often are not from the locations those museums are in. And so those objects belong to other cultures and other cult- countries from anywhere from 50 years ago, 20 years ago, five years ago, to thousands of years ago. Uh, And so repatriation seeks to return those objects in museums to their original uh, creative countries and cultures.
0: Are there certain parts of the world that deal with artifact repatriation more than others?
1: Yeah, (laughs) there absolutely are. So um, the the biggest issue, well, one of the many issues in artifact repatriation has to do with museums in general. Museums are, by their nature, a colonialist endeavor. They really take off during um, sort of the age of colonialism coming out of Europe with expansion into Africa, the Middle East, uh, Australia, um, South America, and the sort of European colonialist endeavor of bringing back this sort of cabinet of curiosities or objects from around the world that would inspire uh, Europeans who would think they were interesting and other and different. And they would be housed in this cabinet of curiosities originally in rich people's homes and then eventually in sort of state institutions that were endowed with money to collect these artifacts from around the world that European individuals could view as part of the broader empire of which they were a part, that they were sort of taking part of and could see these far reaching uh, parts of the world from their home in Europe. As a result, (laughs) museums are by their nature a colonialist enterprise. And so the areas where we see these repatriation uh, issues arising are in these uh, museums that began under colonialist regimes. And so the the goal is um, when we talk about repatriation, returning those objects, which were a product of colonialism, a product of exploitation to the cultures and the countries that they came from uh, and allowing those cultures to experience their own history in a way that Europe uh, and, and the West, the United States is absolutely part of this problem as well to, to return those objects where they came from.
0: Artifacts is such a broad word. So can you just look at some examples of what these artifacts consist of?
1: Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is a broad word. You're right. Uh, so it's anything. Um, and the, <laughs> I, I'm an archeologist. So we tend to use the term material culture, which is the world's vaguest word for stuff like the stuff people have, which is effectively what artifact is, (laughs) it's stuff, uh, anything anyone used at any period of time across history and the world. But it also includes human remains. And so again, I'm an archaeologist, I'm an Egyptologist. So a lot of what we look at is mummies and human remains. Um, For Native American communities, this is particularly important with the repatriation of indigenous uh, bodies back to their home cultures, as well as Objects or funerary objects that are imbued with uh, life force that need to be returned. Uh, so you're looking at like pots and pieces of writing and inscriptions all the way to human remains. And uh, like the Benin bronzes, that which include the history of the people of Benin. So the, there is this um, huge range, but pretty much it's anything that was left behind by cultures before now, which is why it's so
0: broad. What do you think has caused the movement for returning art back to their rightful place? Could it be pinpointed to one specific event or just an overall movement?
1: I don't know that I could point to a specific event. I would say that um, there's been a call for repatriation for a long time. It's not new. Indigenous cultures have wanted their material culture back since colonialist cultures came and took it. And it's only very recently that the West and the the global North have started really listening or that there's been broader um, popular traction for the return of objects. It was highly unpopular and even if you look 20 years ago 15 years ago you'll hear academics talking in very public places and public ways about how we can't give these artifacts back they won't be taken care of well the west has to hold on to them they have better facilities the objects are too precious to go to sub uh substandard facilities my understanding my best guess as to uh why things changed is maybe people eventually heard the words coming out of their mouths. (laughs) Um, But there's a lot, there's been a big move um, in the last 10 years, even even less five years uh, to really think through how objects got to where they are, who do they really belong to, why do the cultures who produced the objects not have access to their history, and and, uh, and we're really thinking through decolonizing museums and decolonizing the way that we approach history. Archaeology by its nature, Egyptology in particular, are colonialist enterprises, uh, and so they are. Our history is just baked into colonialism, and so when, when we're talking about making a more ethical world, learning more about global history, uh, who we are in, in space and time, we can't do that reflectively. We can't do that with any sort of ethical or moral standing while we're stand, sitting in museums full of objects that do not belong to the cultures where they're from and where the cultures from which they come have no access. Uh, a lot of the arguments that were made 20 years ago were, well, more people will have access to them if they're at the Metropolitan Museum, if they're at the British Museum, if they're at the Louvre. But that's not true for the people of uh, sub-Saharan Africa. That is impossible to get to. Um, And you don't have, there's no way to have access to your own culture. But someone from England, from New York, from France, they all have access to those materials. Uh, And so it's been a much broader movement. You've really seen it pick up with Black Lives Matter, the indigenous communities here in the United States have been lobbying really hard for really long time to have the return of their ancestors um, so they can rebury their ancestors to participate in the repatriation of their cultural material. And that's been really hard. But as we as cultures grapple with the history of colonialism, as we rethink how we're talking about history, it's become a lot more accessible, popularized, and there's more public pressure on museums and governments to do it.
0: And going along with that, um, does artifact repatriation, is it just about returning the artifacts back to the rightful place, or does it also consist of paying reparations as well, or maybe even building facilities for these artifacts that are being returned?
1: Yeah, so it's such a powerful question. Thank you for asking it. I'm gonna give you a really wiggly answer to it. (laughs) Uh, So they're considered two different things in the sort of decolonizing museum movement. I will state that I am for both repatriation and reparations. Um, I think they're really important because the removal of these objects in the first place was deeply problematic. The continued maintenance of them abroad perpetuated inequity and reinforced colonialist uh, mechanisms and without repatriation and reparations we're not supporting those objects and reinvigorating supporting the um those cultures in and in integrating those objects back into their culture we owe that we do we've been making money off of them forever the objects so we should be paying reparations for that. Um, In some cases, museums do build museum facilities, Um, so we have seen some of that take place. It's not super common because museums are usually highly underfunded, and they don't have a lot of money to pay out. The museums are often lumped with the arts, also traditionally heavily underfunded, and the humanities traditionally underfunded by governments. what you need is governmental uh, reparations to be paid to another government in order for this to happen, or for governments to be building these museums, because museums don't tend to have the finances to do it. Doesn't mean they shouldn't be able to or shouldn't do it, just that the finances don't tend to be there. At the moment, the majority of repatriation is really just repatriation. is getting the objects back to the countries, which again is very hit or miss. You're not seeing a ton there is more of it now than there has ever been. And there's greater traction for it now as evidenced by John Oliver doing the last week tonight piece on it very recently, but it is not, it's not ubiquitous. It's not everywhere and requires a lot of financial investment. It requires board members of museums to agree. It gets real sticky sometimes, <laughs> Uh, on that end um and and if we're and if museums are looking at doing or countries are looking at doing reparations, they need the funding to do it as well
0: yeah, and hopefully as artifact repatriation um, is more involved in mainstream media, hopefully we can see reparations going alongside with repatriation that would be amazing
1: yeah, absolutely
0: encyclopedic museums are what hold these artifacts, mostly in Europe. Mm -hmm. If complete artifact repatriation were to occur, what should be done with these museums?
1: Yeah. (laughs) um, I I think that's something that um, is a common concern expressed by European museums. What do we do when all of our objects are taken away from us? But I also would reframe that as, well, what did you do to the cultures to begin with? (laughs) And those countries had all of their objects taken away from them. So I feel like it's it's a bit of, of making the same claim that those, those countries have been making for generations. Encyclopedic museums can be super useful, but also we live in a digital age um, in a way that once upon a time, you really had to go to a museum to access their collections, to see things, to participate on those spaces. But in digital space, we have access to museum collections around the world. There's no reason that encyclopedic museums can't have digital copies or 3D models of objects. The Nefertiti bust is housed in the Neues Museum in Berlin. They refuse to repatriate it. The people of Egypt have asked for it back over and over and over again and have not had it repatriated. They couldn't even get digital scans of it or a copy of it. And so um, a group of uh, performance artists and hackers showed up with 3D um, imaging cameras and walked around the bust as museum attendees. And then they created a digital file of it so you could 3D print a Nefertiti bust anywhere, which is amazing. Also really sad that that's what they had to go through to get a copy of the Nefertiti bust. But we have the technology to make those kinds of objects available for encyclopedic museums. Why do the Egyptians have to do that in Germany for their own cultural heritage? Why couldn't the Germans have a 3D printed version of that bust? We also have access to 3D images online, all of the history, the catalog information that you can utilize. Europeans can travel to museums in other parts of the world to look at them just like you expect Um, Sub-Saharan African, Australian, indigenous folks to travel to encyclopedic museums. They're only encyclopedic for Europe. They're not encyclopedic for everywhere else. It also doesn't mean that they can't house artifacts from their own areas. There is incredible history and culture in Europe that's based in Europe and could stay there, Um, and that would be part of that experience. It also doesn't mean that foreign governments can't gift each other objects and and things like that, we do it all the time, um, and and so you see it as part of diplomacy. You'll often see cultural objects exchanged in diplomatic aspects. There's no reason we can't continue to do those things from government to government. That's sort of collaborative, as opposed, which would allow foreign governments to hold and host objects that are not their own, even if it's just on long-term loan. So it's not sort of a downfall of museums, it's just rethinking how they work and and how are we engaging in these spaces and making it more equitable and realistic for the rest of the world who've really been cut off from their own cultural history and, and from housing encyclopedia museums of their own.
0: Yeah, I think it's a lot easier to think of what we can do with these museums than people think. 100%. Since many artifacts were taken during colonial world where modern day countries did not exist, what do you think should be done with these artifacts that do not necessarily have a a place of destination?
1: I think most cultures around the world that are housed in these encyclopedic museums, the host modern host countries of those groups still house uh, emotional ties to those material culture pieces and so whether or not ancient egypt and modern egypt have anything to do with each other (laughs) ancient egypt is very much a part of modern egyptian culture and as a result does that make sense yes and Mm -hmm. and so when you're looking at repatriation of objects you should send them back where they came from even if that culture is not there anymore we see Um, issues like this facing indigenous communities here in the United States, the Smithsonian has a rule that you're um, supposed to release uh, remains or objects from the Smithsonian uh, to indigenous groups, as long as they are direct descendant, they're lineal descendants, or cultural, culturally affiliated. In theory, that's great. But what if that group is like, not totally around anymore or tangentially related does that mean that the closest affiliate couldn't request those objects and have them repatriated reburied having have those remains reburied it's actually an often difficult line to draw where museums say oh you're not quite affiliated enough or I should say it's not often but It could happen that you wouldn't be affiliated enough to request that. And so that causes a lot of issues when um, we're looking at these sort of colonialist endeavors, right? That it definitely doesn't belong to the people in D.C. Why can't it belong to the rough area of the culture that it came from? Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, you bring up really good points and I like how you um brought about the point of like emotional ties because I think this subject is a lot more well subjective than mm-hmm. it may seem especially for the countries that have had their artifacts taken away from them due to colonialism so it's a really good point.
1: Yeah it's it's a big issue because I, I think um when we talk about modern versus ancient cultures or even recently removed artifacts None of us have necessarily direct ties to, again, I'm an Egyptologist. I use Egypt as an example, but we don't have direct ties to the culture that we're drawing from or from those objects, but it doesn't mean they're not culturally significant to the people who live there and who draw value from those objects and that they're not closer than I am by a thousand yards.
0: (laughs) So bringing back this conversation to Utah, which is one of the purposes of this chat that we're having. How does artifact repatriation affect a place like Utah? Considering its colonial past, does artifact repatriation need to occur here if it hasn't already?
1: Um, Yes, and yes. (laughs) Yeah, so pretty much every museum has some level of seized artifact. It doesn't mean there's not provenance for that object. And provenance is just a fancy way of saying we know exactly where it came from. But I'll give you an example from a collection housed at the um, UMFA. So the Natasha Rambova collection at the UMFA was gifted to the UMFA uh, upon her death because she grew up in Utah till she was like five. <laughs> um, and uh, she was a famous ballet dancer. Um, she was also a uh, Egyptologist, a self-taught Egyptologist who was very interested in Egyptian language. She spent a great deal of time in Egypt doing copies of tomb inscriptions and collecting Egyptian artifacts. And when she died, she sort of divided up her collection, which was rather massive to a number of places. But one of the places the collection went was to the UMFA. And so there is a standing ancient Egyptian artifact collection in the UMFA, That's the Natasha part called the Natasha Rimbova collection that has uh, because she had deep ties to Utah. All of that is in perfect working order. She got those artifacts, she bought them, she gifted them. There's provenance, there's bill of sale. It doesn't mean we should have them. There's it's the sort of the difference between the legal reality and the ethical or moral aspects of that. and, and this is where you really see museum professionals in debate. Do we keep them? This was not someone who showed up and actively looted uh, Egypt or was part of, where there are some collections where they are actively looted. There are pictures of people having looted the artifacts and taking them with them. This is not one of those situations. She bought the artifacts, she shipped the artifacts. We have all of the information. Do I think they belong in Utah as opposed to Egypt? No, I do not. <laughs> I think that um, they belong to the people of Egypt. They should be repatriated to Egypt. Is that a popular opinion? Probably not. <laughs> it's, um, but the the reality behind it is, is one of deep importance. When you're looking at something where legally all of the right boxes are ticked, and there's no great outcry from Egypt for the Natasha Rimbova collection. It's not the Rosetta Stone. It's not the Nefertiti bust. But it is still material culture that is not part of Utah. That's not part of Utah's history. That wasn't gifted to Utah by the Egyptian government. And so it is a like a set of objects which could be repatriated, which in my opinion should be repatriated even if in exchange there's 3d models or object or digital catalogs or things like that that people could interact with and uh, there are other ways for us to go about having this sort of interactive experience with cultures outside of utah that don't require us to house and own objects quote unquote own objects that are not part of western culture and that do come out of a western person's <laughs> experiences in egypt collecting objects outside of their own background.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And that's honestly so like mind boggling to think that there are material culture from all the way in Egypt here in a state like Utah. Is there anything else you would like to add or any last minute words? <laughs>
1: any final thoughts? Um, I think, I think my final thought would be that Repatriation can be a deeply personal issue. You'll see people, particularly in museum fields, who feel really passionately about maintaining collections as they are. That there is a deep fear of knowledge loss or they feel connection to the material in collections. I'm heartened and hope and feel increasingly hopeful that those sorts of feelings are being increasingly questioned Um, that we as a community of museum professionals and archeologists are thinking more reflectively about what we're doing, where does it go? How does it get there? And who should get to do the work? And that many museums are taking these sort of hard looks at their own ethics and, and standings about repatriation and changing policies. We are nowhere near done but it, it's a positive. I think it's moving in a positive direction slowly. Yeah, I,
0: def- I definitely <laughs> agree with that. Especially with the emergence of social media, I think people are becoming more and more educated on this issue, and it's even being brought into films. I remember seeing something along the um, concept of artifact repatriation in like one of the Marvel movies, Black Panther. Yeah, that's where that's where I like first learned about it. So I hope that as we become more educated educated as a society, we can really deal with this ethical dilemma.
1: Yeah. More Black Panther.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> so that's it for today. Thank you for listening. To learn more about today's guest and our other fireside chats, check out our website, utahdiplomacy.org, as well as explore our website to learn more about how to get involved with diplomacy in Utah, One handshake at a time.